You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So, Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 and 22. Um, You may not know this, but every year I do an audit of the messages I offer. And um, it's my way of trying to check myself. Am I hobby riding certain topics? Am I staying away from certain texts unknowingly? And then about um, when I reached 10 years here, about three years ago or so, I did a full-on audit of every message I'd ever offered here, which was like some 300-something, I don't know how many, it was a lot. Um, And I word search and I read and et cetera, et cetera, to see, you know, what I'm saying, what scriptures are we in? Are we, are we touching in the Hebrew scriptures enough, the gospels, the epistles, the letters, and the Christian scriptures, et cetera, et cetera? Well, what I found was I have, I have not spoken from this text in 19 years. I know. Don't judge me. Um, but it's a, it's, I just haven't. I, I don't, it's not like I have an aversion to it. I just, there's a lot in the Bible, right? You know? I've been doing this for 21 now years. There's a lot to talk about in scripture. Ian one time was like, Dad... How do you find something new to talk about when the whole thing's supposed to be a lot but love God and love your neighbor? I'm like, well, that's what I'm accused of. You have to kind of find different ways to talk about the same thing. Um, but the beautiful thing of the story is that it's there. So um, it's the epiphany season. Epiphany means revelation. It means manifestation. And I have said, we're in the epiphany season. You, beloved, need to be mindful and expectant of the reality that you're living through this season of epiphany. And season of epiphany within the Christian calendar is designed to remind us that God is always wanting to do something new. God is always looking to reveal God's movement in your life. And epiphany is a season of expectant hope where we can walk around in our everyday comings and goings and know that the Christ who revealed Christ's self to the world is always revealing himself to us. Sometimes we just aren't paying attention. And Epiphany is a season to open and turn up, turn up our eyes, right? Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. This is an Epiphany text. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth, Then left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. This text should be familiar. It's in our confession and was in our advent. In the land of Zebulun and of Naphtali beside the sea beyond the Jordan River in Galilee where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven has come. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two brothers, two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come to. They followed him immediately, leaving the boat and their father behind. Read that last section of text, leaving the boat and their father behind. The kingdom of God, which is to say God's reign of love and liberation, is now present in the person of Jesus. 
And now we also have to think in the context of the story to Jewish ears. It is also to say the kingdom of David is now present in Jesus, the long-expected king from the line of David. And the words of Isaiah are coming true, and Matthew wants us to make the connection. He says, For those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. John, who was there, would later write in the beginning of his gospel that darkness cannot extinguish the light because Jesus' life is the light of men and women. John 1, 4 and 5. Now, too many times I have heard this text read as an evangelism text. You know, the whole fishers of people thing. You could see bumper stickers, which is just weird to drive around. Christian culture can be strange. Driving around town with, I'm a fisher of people. I'm sure people who are not followers of Jesus are like not wanting to hang out with you. Uh, it's just weird. It's just weird. It's all I'm saying. Wearing a bumper sticker, fishers of men. Really? Like, what about, I mean, like, what are you doing? Um, and, 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 it's, and it's always seen, and I can see that because it says, I will show you how to fish for people. But I do not read this text as an evangelism text because my eyes are fixed on the invitation Jesus offers. It's the first words he says. He says, come, follow me. And when a rabbi, when a Jewish leader says, come, follow me, that is an invitation to something deeper. It's an invitation to discipleship. Now, discipleship is a $10 religious word. And all I'm asking you to think about with the word discipleship is a lifestyle and a lifetime of imitating Jesus and doing what he teaches. You with me? So if you want to boil discipleship down, say it with me, a lifestyle and a lifetime of imitating Jesus and doing what he teaches. That is discipleship. And they must learn to follow before they learn to fish. And so Matthew begins here and reminds us that the promises are coming true. That the kingdom of God is broken in and God is on the move doing a new thing. And Matthew tells us that before this invitation was given, Jesus is already preaching the gospel of God's kingdom, the good news of God's kingdom. That God's kingdom now present in the person of Jesus requires a response. And that response, repentance. Not a favorite word in Christian circles. Repentance. A turning to God. But not just in some abstract, random way. A turning my loyalties and allegiances to only one, and that is God. Now, if you want to hear a great series on repentance, Jason Thornton offered a great series on repentance, what, four or five years ago? I don't know. It's just Google repentance in our website, and you'll see Jason's face, and um, that means a lot of things. But then you can find, uh, then you can find uh, the words there. But it's, it was a phenomenal, it was a phenomenal series, and he goes through the deep word study of what it means, and in the narrative of Scripture, well, all I'm asking you need to think about is what Jesus says: a turning to God. But to turn to God, to turn our allegiances and loyalties to God, we have to turn away from false allegiances and loyalties. There's a turning away. And the turning to. And there's a turning to from the turning away. Right? And repentance. Requiring a turning away from all things that will not lead to God is required for a lifetime of learning that we call discipleship. And in this story of Jesus gathering his first disciples, we need to pay attention to what is happening 
So look at the story. Jesus gathering his first disciples. He doesn't go to the well-off or the well-known. He doesn't go to the powerful, elite, or rich. He doesn't go to the highly educated or highly favored. He doesn't go to the celebrated or the socially elevated. He calls fishermen. And he promises to make them fishers of people. Now, really, that shouldn't surprise us after reading the wedding in Cana, where Jesus will not invite his disciples to participate in the miracle by serving the guests, but invites those who weren't even on the guest list to participate in the miracle serving the guests, the servants. And so it makes sense that Jesus would pass by the public square of politics and campuses of higher learning and instead walk the shores of the Sea of Galilee and invite fishermen to be his first disciples. When Jesus calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John, it's important we notice that they're not enjoying a day off. Jesus doesn't send them a message asking if they have time to meet. He doesn't wait until it's convenient for them Jesus calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John while they are busy working, preoccupied with providing for their families and making a life for themselves. Nothing wrong with that, but that's when Jesus shows up. And in both instances, we learn about a kind of leaving that happens. Everybody say leaving. Peter and Andrew leave their work tools, their nets, and follow him. That's what the text wants us to say. James and John leave their boat and follow him. We're even told that James and John leave their father. And I think this text, the way Matthew tells this story, points us to a kind of leaving discipleship requires. It's not the kind of leaving they will want. And it's important we don't justify this point. It's not the kind of leaving that will make life more convenient for them. It's not the kind of leaving that relieves pressure that they've been feeling. No, this is a kind of leaving that will include sacrifice, letting go, opening of the hands, heart, and mind, if a joy-filled transformation is to take place in their life. Maybe Matthew chooses to tell the story at the beginning of his gospel and introduces to Peter, Andrew, James, and John in this way to show us that imitating the life of Jesus and following his teachings will always require some kind of leaving. After leaving their nets and boats and even their parents, the typical comforts and preferences of their life, they had to learn to leave some long-held beliefs and ideologies that could become barriers to the liberating joy of God's kingdom. I mean, you've read the gospel. You see that play itself out over and over again. Each one of them had to leave some habits that could keep them from experiencing the goodness of God's kingdom. Each one of them had to leave some relationships, some only for a season, some for good, because these relationships were barriers to the kingdom of God. It is the kind of transformation 
all disciples of King Jesus must undergo because it takes new eyes and new ears to see and hear the way of God's kingdom. It'll take a new mind and a new heart to think and feel differently about yourself, your nation, your neighbor, and your enemy. It will take a new soul to fill up, to fully open up to the epiphany of joy revealed in God's liberating good news when the light of Jesus's life shines in this land where death casts its shadow. And if we keep reading Matthew, we'll read how the disciples are always leaving something, especially their assumptions. They struggle throughout their entire discipleship to comprehend what they are seeing and hearing. You remember the stories. They struggle to comprehend what they are told is a kingdom-shaped way to feel and to think differently about life as citizens of Israel and as Jews living in a Roman-occupied land, about their neighbors and who they are, and about what to do with their enemies. And what we learn is that what they heard and saw wasn't always practical or feel-good. Y'all with me now? Jesus spoke in parables and mystery. I mean, we can hear them sometimes cry out in frustration, Jesus, say what you really mean. We can almost hear them say, Jesus, you're too deep. Can you just say it simple or give us something practical? At times, we can almost hear them complain, why do you keep on talking about Samaritans? Can you talk about something else instead of how we should care for the poor and love our neighbors and enemies? But this is what the invitation to following Jesus requires. If they are to understand how to fish for people. To be more than admirers of Jesus and become followers of Jesus requires an ongoing commitment to repentance. And this repentance will always require a commitment to all sorts of leavings, a life of unlearning and relearning. For this is to follow the path that the light of Jesus' life reveals whether wonders of joy is experienced and possibilities are found in the midst of improbabilities. See, what Peter, Andrew, James, and John learned is that Jesus would not ask them to leave unless he had something greater for them to receive. You need to hear that. The way of joyful liberation that God's kingdom brings will not come easy in the land where death cast its shadow. To follow Jesus, they had to learn how repentance and transformation works. But first, they had to learn how to leave. They also had to learn that they could not and were not to do it alone. I need you to realize this isn't Peter's story. This isn't Andrew's story. This isn't James's story. And it's not John's story. It is Peter and Andrew and James and John's story. This isn't a story of individual followership because there is no such thing in the kingdom of God. Discipleship is a community experience. And that is why Jesus invited them to learn the way of discipleship together. Because this sense of belonging both to Jesus and to one another 
could be a great source of comfort and joy in the land where death cast its shadows. And in learning the way of God's liberating kingdom. So, what about us? What about me? What about you? What kind of transformation must we undergo if we are to see and hear the way of God's kingdom with the new eyes and new ears God has given us by the Spirit in our baptism? What kind of transformation must we undergo if we're to think and feel differently about ourselves, our nation, our neighbor, or our enemy with a new mind and a new heart given to us by God's Spirit in our baptism? Will we know, do we know, how to fully open our souls to the epiphany of joy revealed in God's liberating good news when the light of Jesus' life shines in this land where death cast its shadow? What kind of leavings must you and I commit to? It's going to be the hard ones, not the easy ones, not the ones that relieve the pressure and make life more manageable. Will we remember that Jesus will not ask us to leave unless he has something greater for us to receive. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is when first, in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians, I, clearly it's one of my favorite because I know where it's located. Um, it's in the Bible, somewhere in the Bible, 2 Corinthians, where Paul says, God is moving us from glory to glory. You know what I love about that text? Is the hard part of that text. God sometimes moves us from something really good and beautiful into something really good and beautiful. And we have this tendency to think that God's only going to rescue us from things that aren't good and beautiful into something that's good and beautiful. But sometimes God is asking us to leave something good for something gooder, otherwise known as better. I know I did that on purpose for those who judge my English, Allison. This is something we have to see. Am I willing? Come on now. Am I willing to leave the preoccupations and busy comings and goings? Am I willing to leave beliefs that I have held for years? Here's one. Am I willing to leave the ideologies that are more reflective of my social location than my kingdom vocation? more reflective of my patriotism or economic status or gender or race than of the ethics of God's kingdom, especially when they've all been mixed in together? Am I willing to leave habits that do not reflect the commitment to the way of Jesus or the hope and joy offered by Jesus? Am I willing to leave unhealthy relationships that keep me tied to preoccupations, beliefs, ideologies, or habits that I need to leave? Or will I cry out in frustration, Lord, say what you really mean. Lord, just give me a simple answer, something practical. Or will I even complain, Lord, why do you keep bringing up Samaritans? Can you talk about something else instead of how we should care for the poor or love our enemies and our neighbors? And just as important, will I understand that learning the way of discipleship doesn't happen alone or in my nuclear family. 
If that were the case, it would have just been Peter and Andrew. James and John. It was Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And Mary and Simon. We know. Will I understand that learning the way of discipleship doesn't happen alone, but in the company of others, Jesus is invited to follow him. The invitation Jesus gave them is the same invitation Jesus gives you and me. The Lord will never ask you to leave unless he has something far, far greater for you to receive. But the way, the way of joyful liberation will not come easy in the land where death cast its shadow. Like the disciples, if we are to experience it, we will have to learn how to leave because that's repentance and transformation and how it works. Beloved, there is a joy to be revealed in the leavings that discipleship requires, but we must do it together. Let us trust the Lord who invites us to follow Him together. And let us not be afraid of repentance. Let us not be nervous with transformation. Let us trust the God who knows us best and who is as close to us as the breath in our lungs. And let us trust that he's not going to come, put on life, and give up life just to play games with ours. Trust him. Hey, hey, but don't do it alone. You will need me. I will need you to discern, to work, to let go, to leave, to come, to receive. We will need each other. And it will be transforming when we invite others into our journey of discipleship who we wouldn't choose the other days of the week. Because now we know that God extends to us a bigger table and says to us, I want you to bring the Eucharistic table into your kitchen. And just as though you don't get to choose who sits at this table, you shouldn't choose who sits at yours. Not your body, not your blood, not your table. Take that same heart into your home, into the restaurants. Look around this room and start, start here. Because we have said we share something here. We've said we share a rule of life unique to us. We said we share, not unique to us and bigger than us, the blood of the Christ. We said we share a common life. That's what koinonia means, a common life with each other. Where we're trying to figure it out and sort it out and do it together. That can't happen one day a week. It has to happen as a part of a lifestyle and a lifetime of imitating Jesus and learning to do what he teaches. What we call, what? Discipleship. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.